Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. You've seen the headlines, maybe even witness incidents yourself. Well, now let's talk about what's been happening with public transit in the Twin Cities. When riders slowed to a trickle during the pandemic, troubling behaviors slipped in the door. Metro Transit has become a haven for those with nowhere else to go. People without homes or with addictions or mental illness. There are people sleeping and living on transit. Floors are littered with food containers, drug syringes, and empty liquor bottles. It's not uncommon to see people smoking cigarettes or openly using drugs on the light rail trains. And most concerning are the recent assaults. A transgender woman was brutally beaten in February by three men at a light rail station in Minneapolis. In December, two people were shot and killed at a station in downtown St. Paul. Bus drivers have reported being punched and threatened with a gun. The spiral of problems follows the steep drop in riders during the COVID-19 lockdowns. And now, nearly three years later, almost half the riders have still not returned. The future of public transit is a statewide concern. In the last few weeks at the state capitol, Minnesotans have testified at public hearings as lawmakers consider new approaches and more funding. Here's what a few of them said. My name is David Peterson. As a regular transit user, the state of the light rail system to me is shocking. The drug use is out of control. Uh, there are fentanyl wrappers all over the floor of the train, and I really, I really can't believe where it's gotten. My name is Jenny Huang. I'm a math teacher. I found a route to work which involves light rail and two buses. The trip is over two hours one way, which is less than ideal. There have been moments on the bus where I have feared for my safety. I've been verbally harassed. I've, I have witnessed physical altercations. Despite what I've experienced, I still believe in the expansion and betterment of public transit in Minnesota. So how did we get here and how are we going to get out of this public transit mess? I have three guests joining me this hour to discuss this. And as we talk, I want to hear from you, too. Have you ridden on a public transit bus or train recently? What was your experience? Why do you value public transit and why do you think or what do you think could be done to improve safety? and the system. The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that is 651-227-6000. Or you can call 800-242-2828. You can tweet me at Angela Davis MPR. Let's bring in our guests. Here in the studio with me is the new Metro Transit Police Chief, Ernest Morales III. Chief Morales is new to Minnesota, but has a long career in law enforcement. He served in the New York Police Department for 30 years and then made history by becoming the first Latino named first deputy commissioner for the Mount Vernon Police Department near New York City. For a time, he was the commanding officer of transit police for much of the Bronx. Chief Morales also spent 22 years in the U.S. Navy Reserve. He was hired in January, but just started the job two weeks ago. Good morning, Chief Morales, and welcome to Minnesota. Good morning, Angela, and thank you for having me. I heard you took the train in. Yes, I did. Green line. All right. We're going to talk all about this. Uh, Leslie Kandaris is here, too, in the studio. Leslie is the interim general manager of Metro Transit. She stepped into that role last month. Thanks for being here, Leslie. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And we also have in the studio Professor Ying Ling Fan, a professor of urban and regional planning at the University of Minnesota School uh, Humphrey School of Public Affairs. And one of her areas of study is transportation. Nice to meet you, Professor Fan. 
Thank you, Angela. Thank you for having us. So, Chief Morales, as you listen to me list many of the challenges Metro Transit is dealing with right now, and people testify at the state legislature, uh, at the state capitol about this, what goes through your mind? It's very concerning. And we understand that we have challenges facing us as we proceed forward. But I'm very optimistic that we're going to change how commuters start experiencing their trips. But one thing I want to implore is that people have patience as I strategize and share my vision and start to implement that. But more importantly, that we remember this is a shared responsibility. And I know that one of the things that you have been doing since uh, you started uh, just two weeks ago to get up to speed on on how to approach Metro Transit's uh, public safety problems, you've been riding the trains. You've been riding the trains with your wife. Tell me about that. Absolutely. Uh, I think for us to get an important perspective of what everyone is experiencing, we needed to experience it as an everyday commuter. So my wife and I, we got on the trains, the blue line specifically together, And we rode from Target Field all the way down to the Mall of America. And I have to say, some of that ride was pleasant, but then there were other areas where it was very challenging. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this, from a private citizen perspective, I never felt threatened, but I was concerned. It felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And perception is very important when you're commuting on a line where you expect comfort. And it's my job and the job of the Metro Transit Police Department to start instilling that feeling of safety on the lines. But once again, there's perception and there's reality. And I can't talk to someone's perception because we all have our own feelings of how we experience things. Mm -hmm. And it's not every route every time, uh, clearly. But uh, what, what was your experience like this morning on the Green Line coming into downtown St. Paul where we are located? I have to say it was an uneventful ride, which was great. I saw workers going to their predestined destinations. Mm-hmm. It was uneventful. It was it was great. I had a comfortable ride this morning, much more comfortable than my first experience. Right. So what is it about your personal background that makes you a good fit to be the top person at Metro Transit Police. Um, I, I've been reading a little bit about your your upbringing, your childhood. I know there have been some challenges that you faced uh, as a, a child and a young man that might make you, uh, you know, really empathetic to sort of what we're seeing here. Absolutely, I definitely experienced this growing up in the urban city back in the 1980s. I I think uh, we should learn from our history, right? So I grew up during the crack epidemic. It was very challenging then, and. Uh, one thing we need to do is, uh, as young individuals at, in society today, we need to invest in our young individuals and adolescents especially. I was given these opportunities. The Boys Club of America saved my life. I, I don't think, I, I, I do believe that if we don't invest in after school programs, we're headed down a sad road. And you've stated you've, you had family members who dealt with drug issues. Absolutely. Uh, right in my home, my, my mom. You know, it's uh, unfortunate that she was a young woman raising a young child. We grew up together, I always say. She was looking for love in all the wrong places. Those individuals came into our home. Uh, Sometimes they were violent with her, violent with me as well. And unfortunately, they hooked her on drugs. But she recovered at the end. She made full recovery. She's a woman I became and I will always be proud of. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. And you lost many friends, too, along the way. I lost many friends to drugs, 
to jail, uh, street violence. Right. And what led you into law enforcement? Ironically enough, I was naive, and I believed that growing up, I wanted to be two things in life. I wanted to be a professional boxer and a police officer. I, I, I accomplished them both. I uh, was in the amateur boxing system. I had the opportunity to travel around and compete for the United States. And then I uh, turned pro. I had one professional fight, retired, undefeated, one and done. But more importantly, I wanted to be a hero. I was naive enough to believe that if I donned that uniform, I can be that superhero for everyday citizens and make a difference. And we don't need superheroes, but we need people with compassion and understanding and, and some skills. And so this is what you bring to the table. Absolutely. I bring over 30 years of law enforcement experience, military experience as well, but life experience, which is much more important. Yeah, I would, I would, I would feel safe right next to you. So Thank maybe you. I'll wrap with you. We'll, we'll do some reports together in, in the months to come. Leslie, uh, you're the interim general manager at Metro Transit. What is your take on why we're seeing such disruption and safety issues on Metro Transit buses and trains, particularly the light rail line? How do we get here? Yeah, thanks, Angela. It's it's a question we're certainly grappling with at Metro Transit. Um, as Chief Morales said, it's deeply concerning when we hear the stories that you played at the beginning of, of your segment, uh, the testimony at the state legislature. And we do hear from our customers every day that we do not, we are not providing the experience that we want to be providing. I think part of this does trace back to the steep drop-off of ridership. Um, We know our customers have told us they feel safer when there are more people riding. And Mm -hmm. so when ridership is down, we don't have kind of that normal buzz that we were accustomed to pre-pandemic that might have made us feel a little bit more comfortable in public space. Um, And I think part of it, too, is transit is a part of our communities. And so some of the challenges that our region is struggling with, you know, drug use, um, untreated severe mental illness, Uh, poverty, unsheltered homelessness. Um, When our region is struggling with those things, it it becomes visible on transit as well. And what can you tell us about what uh, Metro Transit is doing right now? What is leadership doing right now to improve safety on the trains and the buses? Sure. So we've been making many investments in public safety on transit over the past several years. This includes increasing resources for presence on the system. So that means focusing on our police department, making sure that we are paying our police officers and our community service officers competitive wages. Right now, our police department has um, a total of 171 full-time police officer positions, and we're down to 108 people. So we're really struggling with a workforce shortage on our police department front, and trying to address that and recruit and retain officers is a big piece of what we're working on. Uh, But we're... Policing alone is not going to get us out of this uh, challenge. And part of what the Metropolitan Council has done is develop a safety and security action plan. It includes these investments in our police department, but looks more holistically at what we need to be doing um, to make sure our facilities are in good shape. I think if when our facilities are clean and well-maintained and there's no clear vandalism or other um, property damage, that sends a signal to our riders that this is a safe place to be. So we're looking at how we can make sure to strengthen our work on that front. And we're also looking at other ways to increase official presence on the system through um, non-law enforcement personnel, through um, contracting with community-based organizations, and try to restore that sense of um, 
you know, of people being on this system uh, for positive purposes. Professor Fan, I want to bring you into the conversation. You study transportation. Uh, these are national issues we're talking about. Um, first of all, I think with public transit, it's happening in other large cities across the country. But what have you learned as you have watched what is happening with metro transit here in the Twin Cities in recent years? What stands out to you? Yes, so uh, this is a national problem. In fact, uh, uh, if you look at other systems, such as the Bay Area Rapid Transit in San Francisco area uh, and uh, TriMet in Portland metropolitan area, they have uh, uh, experienced similar issues, and they actually come up with, uh, I wouldn't say like a silver bullet solutions, but uh, you know there are some best practices that uh, you know being implemented across the metropolitan areas and. Uh, uh, General Manager uh, Leslie uh, mentioned some of those uh, uh, best practices. For example, uh, you know, community-based solutions. Uh, I think Chief Morel, you mentioned about shared responsibility. I think it's very important for you know uh, the government agency work with nonprofit uh, organizations and work with the private sector to really fix the uh, worker shortage issue there because you know people will feel safe when there is. Is a, a police and a non-police oversight on the system. Um, so I think that you know, with those uh, uh, introduction of, I think uh, the uh, state legislator also provided support for uh, ambassador program, right, on the system. Uh, I think with more presence of workers and uh, police officers, as well as, uh, you know, as Leslie mentioned, that just a more presence of uh, everyday riders, the system will be safe. So I think, uh, you know, a little bit of patience there would be very helpful. Because these are societal problems, mm-hmm. uh, people uh, living with housing instability, you know, unhoused. I mean, we've seen what has happened with the homeless uh, encampments, uh, you know, people being forced out of those and uh, with addiction, people relapsing and 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 also, you know, with, uh, you know, all, all kinds of problems, uh, mental health issues. Uh, and so what is your take on, on why riders have really been slow to come back uh, after to the pandemic? You know, um, we've talked about the ridership numbers. Right now, Metro Transit, um, they have just over half the riders it had in 2019. Is that right, Leslie? Does that sound about right? Yeah, system-wide, we're, as of January of this year, at about 58%, and mm. it varies by mode a bit, and we can mm-hmm. talk more about that. But yeah, we're not where we were before. What do you think of that, Professor Fan? people being reluctant to come back? Right. So public transportation is a very unique component of our cities and regions. I mean, it's public transportation is a real public space, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about a COVID pandemic, it really kind of exposed our societal problems, you know, in many ways. And the public transportation uh, system being the real public space of our society, it really, uh, I would say, uh, become magnet, magnet of uh, you know, some of the social problems that the COVID-19 mm-hmm. pandemic revealed. Um, and, you know, I, I often say that a part of the problem often points to, uh, you know, that public transportation will be part of a solution as well. You know, because public transportation is such important public space in our society, we have to maintain, uh, you know, uh, sanitation and safety in that public space so that members of, you know, all members 
uh, from our communities feel welcomed in that space. I often say that, uh, you know, if you want to look at whether a city is inclusive and empathetic, you have to look at their public transportation system because that's the area where, you know, where people of different background, you know, uh, rubbing their shoulders, they encounter and they interact. So I just want to give a lot of, uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I think I just want to say that it's wonderful that Chief Morel and Leslie are here and really talk about how we tackle the issues because what they do is very important for the future, our city as well as our region. We're talking about public transit and all the problems and public safety issues we've seen on Metro Transit, light rail trains and Metro Transit buses in recent months and years. And uh, opening the phone lines, we want to hear from our listeners, too. Have you written on a public transit bus or train recently? Tell us about your experience. What do you value uh, about public transit and what do you think could be done to improve safety and the system? Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or you can call us at 800 242 2828 as we talk with the new Metro Transit Police Chief as well as the Interim General Manager and a professor from the U of M who studies transportation. Uh, Let's go to Minneapolis where Jonah is on the line. Good morning, Jonah. And what do you want to tell us in this conversation? Good morning, Angela. Thank you for hosting this very important and timely conversation. Um, My light rail station is Lake and Hiawatha. And I, I, I see this station on a regular basis and I'm just very disappointed in it. It's it's in disarray. It's very clear to me that people need help. I appreciate the comments about the fact that transit is a reflection of broader problems in society. And I think that we need to invest seriously in those problems like homelessness and drug addiction and mental health. But I also am not really hearing um, from anyone at the Met Council or any of our legislators working on this issue that this is an emergency. This is an urgent problem that needs serious, rapid investment. And a three-month pilot program, as Representative Tapke's bill would fund, I just don't think is going to cut it. And so I'm hoping to hear um, a real commitment to urgency. And I'm, I'm actually grateful to hear that the chief himself is riding light rail. So thank you. Thank you again for hosting this this morning. Thank you, uh, Jonah. Um, so what do you think about what he, he is stating, that he's not hearing a conversation about this in terms of it being an emergency? Chief Morales? Good morning, Jonah. Thank you. Thank you for voicing your concern, because it's a real everyday occurrence. I want to assure you that it's important for me. And as a matter of fact, as soon as this meeting's over, I'm headed over to Lake Street because I see exactly what takes there takes place there on a daily basis, and I have to say personally, I'm annoyed by it. But being annoyed by it and finding long-term solutions are two different things, and that's what I'm going to focus on, finding long-term solutions. But understand that Representative Tadke's short-term plan is a beginning, and we're going to build from there as we find our long-term solution. What annoys you specifically? What's happening at Lake or Lake and Hiawatha? And specifically is what Jonah mentioned. What do you yes. see? What Jonah sees and what he sees is uh, people out there smoking their fentanyl. They're blocking the escalators. They're blocking 
passage from not everyday commuters that want to get by and get to their destination, get on the trains. They have taken over the station. It's concerning for me, but I have to be there. I have to feel it. And I have to experience this as well. And more importantly, I have to start speaking to the people that are violating our code of conduct. And you have a shortage of officers, right? You have a number of openings uh, on their police force. How do you go about recruiting people? Good people. Right. So one thing I definitely want to focus on is diversity. And I want to, I understand that when we recruit, what to effectively recruit, we're going to have to go to them as an agency. So we are going to have to go into those neighborhoods to recruit, to share the important aspect of law enforcement, particularly today in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And uh, Leslie, I want to give you the opportunity. Uh, and we actually, we can tell our, our listeners yeah. more. We have... Um, uh, part of an interview we can play about uh, what is happening in the state legislature. But what did you want to say about what this pilot program that Jonah was mentioning? What is that? Sure. So uh, as Jonah mentioned, Representative Brad Tapke has a proposal of that would be a transit service intervention team and really would call on the Metropolitan Council to partner with local governments, with nonprofit organizations, and really flood our system with people who can help connect those who may be in need of social services, Mm -hmm. addiction treatment, other needs with services. I will say it's one piece of a set of efforts we've been trying to work at, specifically at the legislature in recent years. This is actually the fifth year that the Metropolitan Council has brought forward an administrative citations proposal uh, that would change the penalty for fair noncompliance. Part of the reason we've been seeking this, and it's part to Dr. Fan's point earlier about looking at best practices, uh, what we've seen is having the ability to have non-sworn, non-law enforcement employees do routine fare inspections would help us really increase the eyes and ears on our system and help ensure that our customers are seeing transit presence during their rides. Um, That's something in order to do to really enact, we need the legislature to um, change state law because right now it's a misdemeanor if you don't pay your fare. And as a result, we're using police officer resources to address that when we think our police officer resources could be better deployed in other places. So that's just one example of some of what we've been working with with urgency, but absolutely will um, need the the legislature to take action and change that particular part of law. So the problems facing uh, transit here are getting attention at the state level, as we've been talking about. And State Representative Brad Tapke, um, a DFLer who rides light rail from um, Shakopee, wants to address what he says has become a lawless zone on some trains. And he's proposed two bills. Uh, one would make fair evasion a misdemeanor. Another calls for a three-month reset that would bring social services onto Metro Transit to help provide uh, help for people experiencing mental health issues, uh, homelessness, or substance use use disorders. And um, um, again, we, we've discussed this, but I want to give people an opportunity. Um, we talked with Representative uh, Brett Tapke, uh, and here he is describing this two-phase plan he has. First phase is to have an intervention basically on the trains. It's a, a three-month period of enhanced presence of social workers and law enforcement in order to make sure that uh, the people first that need help are getting the help that they need. Transit is a magnifying glass of uh, 
for folks who need assistance. It's a, it's a warm, relatively safe ride for people to be on, and it's a, it's a good place for them to be if they're suffering. And so it is a, it's really important that we connect people who are suffering from addiction, homelessness, from uh, mental health crises, whatever that may be, that they have the opportunity to get the help that they need. And then we will enforce our code of conduct and making sure that that is there so that it is clarifying in the bill that folks are able to be removed from the train if they are not keeping up with the code of conduct. And so then we hope to make significant gains on that using that intervention of having more eyeballs and more ears on the train so that we are able to have a safe and comfortable ride. Someone who is homeless who is just sleeping on the train, that is not an offense. Um, it may make some people uncomfortable, but that's that's not a problem that we're trying to solve here. We know that the trains especially are a magnet for people who need help. And we are identifying in the bill that there's a, ve- a very clear difference between people who need help and people who are there to cause problems. And then the second phase is maintenance of that. So we have what is called the Transit Rider Investment Program. So that's trip personnel will be on trains and we will have a significant number of more people being there to make sure that everybody's paying their fare and make sure that everybody is abiding by the code of conduct, but also to make sure that uh, when we have people who are new to the trains um, to make sure that they are able to get from point A to point B easily and successfully, that they will be able to carry Narcan. So if there is someone who is, uh, has overdosed, they'll, we'll be able to, to save lives that way because there's been a significant number of issues that way as well. And so it is some more eyeballs there to help people using the entire transit system. That's State Representative Brad Tapke, uh, a DFLer uh, who has proposed two bills. Uh, Chief Morales, anything you hear that that you find encouraging that you um, that you want to say about that, this proposal, these proposals, rather? I appreciate his proposals and I appreciate his empathetic approach on how we're going to deal with the situation. It's going to be a larger societal uh, participation to resolve the issues that we're experiencing every day. Mm-hmm. Um Professor Fan, anything you want to share about what you just heard? Yes, I, I agree with Chief Morel. I think this is an opportunity actually for our region because uh, uh, when I say it's an opportunity because uh, uh, if with more funding and programs like this, uh, government agencies can work with nonprofit organizations. So for example, one nonprofit, nonprofit organization that I work with is uh, uh, Goodwill Easter uh, Seals, mm-hmm. which is located in St. Paul. They have a, a pro- program called the Father Project. And it, the idea is to help the fathers to gain economic independence. And I think there needs to be some creative and innovative pipeline programs that uh, when you try to recruit a community service office, uh, community service workers, right, into your program. So, I mean, we have people need job, good paying jobs. And you, you know, at Metro Transit, there is a worker shortage. I think there seems to be opportunity with more funding and investment from the state legislation. We're talking about public transit and the problems that uh, Metro Transit has seen in the last few years and what riders are experiencing. And I want to hear from you. Have you ridden on a light rail line train or a Metro Transit bus recently? What was your experience? You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. I have three guests. We're talking with the new Metro Transit Police Chief, 
Ernest Morales III. He previously worked for NYPD for 30 years and most recently was the first deputy commissioner of the Mount Vernon Police Department there just outside of New York City. We also have Metro Transit's interim general manager with us, Leslie Kandaris. And you also hear us talking with Yingling Fan. She's a professor at the University of Minnesota who researches transportation planning. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's go back to the phone lines. Lots of people calling in. In Minneapolis, I have Roosevelt on the line. Good morning, Roosevelt. What do you want to share with us? Good morning. This is uh, Roosevelt Dixon, and uh, I'm a Metro Transit driver, and uh, I drive from the MGR garage in uh, Brooklyn Park. Okay. And what has, uh, I have a, mm-hmm. what's been your experience? What have you been seeing, Roosevelt? <laughs> I have been assaulted uh, for the past, uh, this is my fifth year working for the system as a driver, and I've been assaulted twice now. The recent one happened to be uh, last August 15, that Sunday evening, when I got assaulted by a group of uh, teenagers uh, from report they are teenagers mm-hmm. uh, from the Mother of America between 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. And prior to that day, the, the, the week before that, Metro Transit Police called me and alerted me that there were a group of uh, teenagers who they were observing to be lawless. So the following week, uh, that week, so they said they were monitoring and then, so anything I should call. But when I made a call, when they started disturbing, Metro Transit Police did not show up until all of them got off the bus as far as uh, downtown before they responded, before they got, you know, closer to me. So the second week, which was the week that I got assaulted, when I called Metro Transit, these kids were smoking. They did not arrive on time until I got assaulted. I was on the floor, and the police had to recover me from uh, the assault. And that was terrific. I got wounded. I stayed off the job almost four to five months, mm. and they have been so bad for me. Yeah, Roosevelt, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Roosevelt, mm-hmm. that this happened to you. And are, are you still working for Metro Transit, or are you now no longer working as a? Are you a bus driver or a, a train operator? I'm a bus driver. Okay. I returned to job uh, on the 13th of. Uh, last month and mm-hmm. it's been a tough time for me because uh, I am kind of like bearing the brunt of the it, of it. It's like sometimes the system think that you are not smart enough or you did not follow rules and regulations and sometimes when the system comes to investigate they put the drivers more at risk than they will help the drivers. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not just it's not just the kids, uh, the drug users or the abusers that we are troubled by. It's how the system is run and how they protect their drivers. And, and that is where we are right now. As, as I speak well, to you well, right now. Roosevelt, I want to I yeah. give our guests an opportunity uh, to talk about what they, we've just heard uh, in you describing your experience. And, and thank you for calling. And I'm so sorry that, that this happened to you. And I, I hope that you're able to, to heal both emotionally and physically and that you're safe moving forward. Uh, Leslie, let's start with you. Uh, a Metro Transit bus driver here on the line assaulted twice uh, groups of teenagers um, injured, taking time off from work. Um, how do you respond to this? 
Yeah, I think as you said, Angela, Roosevelt, I'm so sorry you experienced that. And sadly, we know transit worker assault is something we are seeing on our system as many transit agency are transit agencies are. So unfortunately, Roosevelt's story is not unique. This is a real challenge facing transit agencies. And there are cameras on the buses there and are, trains. Correct. And I think certainly from Metro Transit's perspective, there are steps we're taking to mitigate uh, transit worker assault, uh, for example, installing barriers uh, that can protect the operator um, from assault uh, in each of our buses. Um, as you mentioned, there are cameras there. Our police department plays a critical role in responding to these events um, and really rebuilding our police officer ranks and, and getting back up to full staff will help allow us to respond more quickly to these instances as well. But um, it's it's just so horrific and heartbreaking to hear these stories and um, appreciate mm-hmm. Roosevelt sharing his story today. Chief Morales, as a law enforcement officer, what can be done to um, create a deterrent from assaulting anybody on a bus or a train, but also um, to investigate and follow up for, you know, for a driver like this who is trying to do his job but, but feels unsafe and has reasons to feel unsafe? So I want to touch on several points here. I think uh, first and foremost, we have to take a proactive approach. And what that means is working with our bus operators. Um, For me, my perspective is I'm going to get out there on the lines. I'm going to get on the bus routes. And I'm going to have my police officers also do this on a occasion that's we, we, because we are short in police personnel, we have to strategically um, approach this. And I mean by getting on our most problematic routes and moving around the system so that the communities see more of a presence, a uniform presence, which is very important. I think omnipresence is very important in deterring negative behaviors. So officers right now, it's it's not it's rare that they actually are able to ride the trains and buses because they have other responsibilities. Is that your understanding? Yes, it's rare because we handle approximately 6,000 calls a month. Mm -hmm. So we can't take that proactive position because we're constantly working these calls. We're responding from one job to the next. So that makes it a bit challenging, but we have to come up with a better solution. Under my leadership, I plan on doing that by leading from the front. Um, the perpetrators in this situation, Roosevelt says, says a group of teenagers. Um, so this is this is something that's very concerning, particularly as uh, we start warming up and the school starts letting out. We're going to experience these problems. And one thing I want to discourage my police officers from doing is over policing a younger adolescent population. Right, because they're not all out causing trouble. Some of them are just, particularly at Mall of America, they're there to hang out or to shop. Absolutely, absolutely, right. and. Um, Professor Fan, anything you want to say about, um, you know, what we're seeing with drivers and uh, operators being assaulted and, and, you know, a deterrent to crime? Yes. So this, again, it's not a unique problem. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, across the systems in the United States that we see kind of like a uh, drivers concerned about their safety. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, it is connected to the problem of uh, uh, driver shortage because that uh, one of the way that uh, one important aspect of uh, bringing 
you know, more drivers into the system is to ensure worker safety. Uh, so I think what Roswell shared, I think it's a, it's a concern that I think Metro Transit will need to take it You mean more police serious. officers or? No, 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 drivers. drivers more drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there actually is a driver shortage at yes, Metro Transit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to recruit more drivers, you not only need the pipeline programs, you also need to ensure driver safety, right, mm-hmm. in order to attract people into those jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I'm suggesting is that I think it's a real concern. You know, I think uh, what Roosevelt shared is a real concern and that Metro Transit will have but to address. Isn't it surprising that with cameras like surveillance video that capture faces and images? I mean, we often see this on in TV news reports after something bad happens. You see it all. I mean, there's an awareness that there are cameras and these things are still happening. Does that surprise any of you at all that, that that's not much of a deterrent? And, you know, if you look at, you know, if you want to ask what would be the number one solution to uh, address safety concerns on public transportation, it's basically more riders. That would be the the best solution, you know, more eyes on the uh, trains and the cars, uh, you know, and just uh, more people present on those vehicles. And, you know, so police office, I think, is not is only going to be part of the solution, is not going to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all those are connected, right? People don't feel safe riding the train and they won't ride the train. Uh, so I think, you know, right now, I, I agree that it is, it is an emergency situation that we need to have an intervention to bring more riders into our system. All right, I want to read a comment here on Twitter. This is from Joshua. Joshua writes, Angela, I regularly ride the bus and train, it's bad. But what's not being talked about here is the fact that we've been divesting in transit over the last decade. We're in a perfect storm. The way out is to invest in transit with new dedicated long-term funding. What do you think about that, Leslie? Well, a couple pieces. One, I want to build on what Dr. Fan is saying about our operator shortage. So right now at Metro Transit, we're about 200 operators short of our targeted levels. And what mm-hmm. that's meant is we've reduced service over the last year or so to ensure that the schedules we are putting out there are reliable schedules, that we have the staff levels to meet them. But it means we're not providing the level of service we want to be providing. We're at about 70% of the service level we had back in 2019. So when we talk about rebuilding ridership, it really requires us to rebuild service because adding more trips, making it more convenient, more frequent, more reliable is part of how we build back that ridership base. So certainly um, transit has uh, sought a a sustainable long-term funding solution. Um, And that's a critical part of the investment. But a piece of this, too, is really making sure we're doing all we can to rebuild our workforce and get more service on the street to meet the growing demand and get more um, of the eyes and ears back on the system. Let's take another phone call from a listener as we talk with uh, two Metro Transit leaders uh, and a professor who studies transportation about what we're seeing right now on buses and light rail trains across the Twin Cities. Call us at 651-227-6000. Let's go to, oh, this is Sam Rockwell on the line. Sam is the director of Move Minnesota, and that's a group uh, that I know that advocates for uh, public transit. And uh, Sam, what do you want to tell us about your experience either riding buses or trains or the work that you're doing with Move Minnesota? Uh, yes, thanks for thanks for having me on the show briefly here. Um, and thanks to all of the guests. I, uh, you know, my experience, I think, reflects what other uh, uh, callers and your guests have articulated, which is 
you know, it's it's kind of a mixed bag right now. Uh, I've had a number of very good uh, commutes. I took a, a bus to the train line to get to work. It's my commute. And uh, I've had some great experiences running into friends and being part of that transit community uh, on the commute. And also, you know, seeing folks doing things on the train they're, they're definitely not supposed to be doing and that make uh, me and others uncomfortable. So I think it's a great time to be talking about how we kind of revitalize the, the system here. And what do you think would help the most? Well, you know, I think that the the biggest thing is what Professor Fan just talked about, which is figuring out how we move from where we are to a really robust, high ridership system. And I think that means improving service dramatically. Uh, and and as Leslie articulated, there are some real challenges with that right now. Um, but uh, uh, it means bringing that long-term funding in, figuring out how we can build that driver pool and in making the kind of service that can compete with other forms of transportation on kind of a more one-to-one level, right? Making a really fast, uh, convenient, frequent uh, experience. So when you go to get the bus or the train, you don't even need to look at the schedule. You know it's coming within mm-hmm. five, maybe 10 minutes, uh, and then it's going to get you where you need to go really quickly. And then that's going to build that ridership, build that sense of safety. Thank you. That's uh, Sam Rockwell with uh, Move Minnesota, which is, uh, you know, advocates for improving public transit. And so uh, there was a tweet on Monday, let's say, and I just saw on Metro uh, Transit's uh, Twitter page as I was looking for it, um, announcing um, changes in routes uh, beginning March 18th, which I believe is Saturday. Um, we've seen changes in routes, reduction in service because of the pandemic and the many problems and the staff shortages. What's happening Saturday? What are the changes in routes coming this Saturday? Well, the changes this Saturday are part of our routine quarterly service changes. And one piece of positive news, this is the first quarterly service change in over a year where we haven't had to reduce service due to our operator shortage. So uh, the Metropolitan Council has been investing uh incredibly in trying to recruit and retain more operators. Uh, Last year, the council uh, raised the wages for our operators. Uh, The starting wage for bus operators now over $26 an hour. We're providing paid training opportunities for people who need to secure their CDLs. So uh, certainly, we're really putting a lot of attention and effort and resources into building up our staffing levels to um, what we have, what we'd really like to see to get more service out there. Let's take a phone call uh, from another one of our listeners in Minneapolis. Will is on the phone. Good morning, Will. Thank you for waiting. And what do you want to tell us about Metro Transit? Yeah, good morning. I'm, I'm a regular transit user. I ride the light rail and the the uh, bus lines. Um, I also drive and I bike. And I have to say that I feel much safer when I'm on transit than either of the other alternatives. And I feel like we get a lot of attention from media and from the legislature to lawlessness on transit, but we never talk about reckless driving, speeding, um, that I think statistically is actually a much greater threat to the people who are trying to move around the cities. So I'm wondering, how do we sort of balance that uh, attention to, I mean, my understanding is that statistically, we're all much safer, actually, on transit, um, and, and why we never get any attention to the dangers and the lawlessness on our roads. And well, tell me about your right, your route. Uh, what line do you take, and where are you going from? What city, or are you headed to? I I, I work in Minneapolis. I live in St. Paul. I ride the A line uh, to the Green Line. Um, you know, the biggest the biggest annoyance to me is the cutbacks in 
uh, scheduling. I often, you know, my uh, my commute has, in many cases, doubled in time mm. uh, be, due to the cutbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I often experience people smoking on the trains. That's really annoying to me. I, you know, that's a that's a health threat to all of us. Um, but again, it's nothing compared to what I feel like I face on the roads when I'm mm-hmm. biking, certainly. But even when I'm driving, I feel like it's a real danger to me. And um, this seems like something that we should take into account in the conversation. All right. Thank you. That's Will in Minneapolis. Chief Morales, do you think we, we that, that you talked in the beginning about perception and reality? Uh, what are your thoughts about this? That is there too much focus on what is wrong with, with uh, public transit and not enough on other modes of transportation that are also not safe? I think uh, Will's uh, points were very valid. However, as Professor Fan pointed out earlier, commuting is an important aspect of helping people get transported from point A to point B. Often to work. Absolutely, often to work to put and provide a meal for their family. So we have to work together as community to make this experience a much safer experience for all. But as I started at the top of the show, it's going to be a shared responsibility to Professor Fan's point. We need to increase ridership because together we're going to resolve this situation. While you were with the New York Police Department, you commanded transit police in the Bronx uh, along several subway routes. Tell me more about that. Um, what did you oversee and, and you know, what was that experience like and, and what were, were transit officers called on to do? So I was privileged enough to be the commanding officer of Transit Bureau District 12, which was 42 stations and encompassed eight of the 12 police precincts within the borough of the Bronx. Uh, We were roughly responsible for a half million people a day, the ridership, safe ridership of them. And uh, we just implemented strategies and we worked with our communities. And when I say communities, I mean the employees on the system just to recognize everyday patterns and habits that people have. Mm -hmm. Once we became aware of them, we worked with our coworkers, and I'm going to say coworkers because just like Metro Transit, it's all one big family. And once we understand what the real issues are and we devise plans to address them, we can make that experience much safer for everyone involved. Let's take another phone call. In Minneapolis, we have Maggie on the line. Good morning, Maggie. What do you want to tell us as we talk about public transit? Good morning. Hi. Um, So I regularly ride the light rail and buses, and I have seen instances of over-policing that were very upsetting to see. Um, The most recent time I saw four officers target a poor and unhoused um, person, and um, that person did not appear to be breaking the law. Um, poor and unhoused people have the same right to ride the train as I do. And my question is, given the extensive history of police misconduct in the city of Minneapolis, what is the reasoning behind having increased police presence on trains? Because as we've seen, that more officers is not the solution to creating safer spaces. Maggie, Minneapolis, concerned about uh, people experiencing homelessness and uh, seeing uh, officers, Metro Transit officers, be aggressive toward people experiencing uh, homelessness. Um, Chief, what do you say to that? Maggie, thank you for your thoughtful um, concerns there. You're absolutely right. I think that we have to find a balance in how we strategize to address the issues 
that had taken place. We, you have to remember that right now there's a concern for what the everyday community is seeing. And as police respond to this, we just want to address those issues. But we have to do that in an empathetic manner that's acceptable to our taxpaying Americans, both commuters and everyday passengers. You said, uh, Chief, that you're not interested in, in quick fixes. You want long-term solutions. Absolutely. So, but what do we do now? Right now, as Representative Tapke stated, we have to work with our community partners just to start addressing the issues. We have to do something. Talk about it. Acknowledge it. Right. Get out there just to be proactive in addressing the everyday issues that communities are complaining about. Before we went out of time, I, I need to mention this because this um, affected me in a great way. Um, I, I want to talk about a, a Facebook page where Metro Transit passengers are sharing photos and videos of what they're seeing on the light rail trains. Uh, it started last month originally so that um, Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport employees mm-hmm. could share what they have been experiencing going to and from work. And, and when I looked at the photos, uh, it was very upsetting. I mean, what we've talked about, it's not every route, it's not every day, it's not all the time, but... Images, a plastic con- a container full of syringe uh, needles someone had picked up at a platform. There was a photo of, of um, you know, a, a uniformed officer responding to what looked like someone um, was having an overdose, a drug o- overdose. I saw a video of a naked man running through a train and several pictures of people sleeping, possibly passed out on seats and on the floor by the doors. What does it say to you that that the public, that some people have taken up you know, this issue and they're, they're asking for attention and, ch- and change, Chief. Yes, these are very concerning, particularly the airport terminal, terminals one and two. We understand the blue line is important, especially for me. As tourists come to the city, I don't want them to ever have the impression mm-hmm. that that's what Minneapolis is. That's what the state of Minnesota is, because it's not. This is a beautiful city. The Twin Cities are amazing. If I didn't agree with that, I wouldn't be here. But I'm very optimistic that we're going to be able to turn this around. Remember, Community is important, the shared responsibility. If we work together, we will resolve these issues. And Leslie, are you seeing some momentum, some support that's that's coming to you? Uh, I I believe that, you know, you don't solve problems by not talking about them, which is why I like to, to raise issues like this on my talk show, try to understand it. But what do you feel about what's to come in the months ahead? Right. Well, I think... Um it's clearly this is an issue that people care deeply about. That's why you're getting so many calls today. That's mm-hmm. why it's a, a topic at the legislature and certainly something that's top of our minds at Metro Transit. I think building on what Chief Morales is sharing, this really will require partnerships and relationships to get at some of the systemic issues that are resulting in the problematic behavior we're seeing on transit. So I think some of those partnerships are with other law enforcement agencies. So just on the example of the airport, Metro Transit Police Department through mutual aid agreements is working with the airport police um, and is in conversation with other law enforcement agencies about what we can be doing specifically in that area. I think that approach is something we can do in other areas as well, potentially. Um, we're examining other solutions that would bring in other partners as well to, to again, try to really get at more of the root of some of these concerns um, beyond what transit alone can tackle. 
work on it together. Uh, our time is up, but I would love to have all of you back in uh, a few months to, to, to see where we're at and to get some more ideas. Uh, I want to thank our guests. We've been talking with the new Metro Transit Police Chief, Ernest Morales III, uh, just on the job for two weeks now. So thank you for, for coming in today so we could talk with you and get to know you, Chief Morales, uh, coming to us from Mount Vernon Police Department in New York. Also, Metro Transit Interim General Manager, Leslie Kandaris. Thank you, Leslie, for your time. And Yingling Fan, a professor of urban and regional planning there at the University of Minnesota's Humphrey School of Public Affairs. Thank you to our listeners for calling in as well and sharing your experiences. We always appreciate you. Our time is up for today. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.